I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Hey guys, welcome back to the Sons podcast within a podcast. This week, we're airing an episode that we recorded with Aaron McHugh, who hosts the Work-Life Play podcast. And we were talking about creativity, shipping, and sort of the process behind the print magazine. By now, you may have heard of it. Nonetheless, this podcast sort of uh, goes beyond the creative process of the loan vessel that is the Anson's print, though there's some cool backstory there, into very basic terms. What does it take to maintain the creative life? What are the habits that we've found are helpful? And sort of in the way that's useful, if we could communicate things to our younger selves, what would we say to make the process easier so that we could get to where we are right now a whole lot faster, which is hopefully something that you guys are able to do. Yeah, so this one was pretty fun. Um, it is a podcast that Aaron recorded. If you guys are interested in hearing more from him, you can go check out the Work Life Play podcast. And we got to be the interviewees on this one. So hope you guys enjoy it. Sam and Blaine Eldridge, welcome to the Work Life Play podcast. Thank you. I'm a little disappointed we're not in your van. I know. Oh, yeah, we'll have to do that. Actually, the bus right now is at the shop shop your dad recommended, Padre recommended, that I take to, Jeremy. Oh, it's with oh, Jeremy. It's Jeremy. Man. And he's putting uh, a brand new kit on the sunroof so that it actually is operable and is no longer sealed with white duct tape. <laughs> That's a game changer. Did you actually no look around? Look. Yeah. Did you look around Jeremy's garage when Dude, you dropped it off? It is. I bring friends along. It is legit. Yeah. So right now he has this uh, 1949 VW that he says there's 61 of in the world, and he is restoring the 62nd known version of this. It looks like Adolf Hitler. It's like a drop top, soft top. He looks, yeah, it's wild. But yeah, he's legit. So it's there right now. Wow. So next time. So we're going to connect um, today on this new print edition. So you guys have been at this with Ansons for eight years. Started over a cigar and some some bourbon maybe in the garage? Usually bourbon. Usually bourbon. So how about you? Um, I'm going to just describe to listeners what I'm holding in my hand. So what I have in my hand is this probably, I don't know, it's got to be a nice, uh, I don't know, a, a third of a pound is what it feels like in this big, heavy, full color, sexy looking print that you would have this. It looks like a surfing magazine slash meets Patagonia meets some soulful journey that I want to be part of. And you said that this came together in five weeks, but it all started seven, eight years ago. So who wants to take the first crack at starting in the beginning? That's great. The beginning really does feel like a long time ago. So you're holding the print edition of Ansons. Ansons was conceived over a cigar uh, around Christmas time when everybody happened to be in the Springs. And we simply had this vision of how can we share... Uh, the life of the masculine soul 
with young men. And we realized we were all having the same conversations uh, with our friends and in our peer groups that all related to what does it look like to embrace a lifestyle of maturation in your 20s. And it looks different in your 20s because you have different limitations and you actually have far fewer limitations than you end up having in your 30s and 40s. What we wanted to do was we wanted to make a magazine for guys. And then what we ended up doing was making a website, which we ran as a, in quotes, online magazine, meaning it was just released, a collection of articles released monthly for a really long time. The only step that was available to us was to throw something on the internet Mm. and then sort of begin circling in a tribe of people that wanted to read articles side by side on picking a backpack and developing a relationship with God in which you could actually hear his voice. Yeah, we knew we needed to do something that was both possible and sustainable. And we were all living in different states and different countries at that point in time. And so the idea of these post-college graduates knowing the first thing about how to create this print that you have now, it just wasn't going to happen. Like The dream was there, but it was so far beyond anything in our wheelhouse that setting our sights on something that was more achievable, so to not let go of the dream, but to do something today this month and then something that could be sustainable with that distance. And so we did, we committed to this beautiful kind of countercultural thing. Like everything online was short articles, big pictures, lists, your top 10 traits. Yes. What is your spirit animal? Take this quiz. And we were like, I'm going to tell a story and it's going to be 1200 words and you're going to have to sit. And I know that that people are not going to like that, but that's some people are. Yeah. And so, so we're not for everybody. Right. We did that. We did that for a few monthly and then we shifted that to quarterly so we could do take up other projects and then what you have here in front of you did happen in five weeks it's so wild to me and so what let me just page count here so it's 112 pages and i mean full-on like graphic design map layouts uh brewery um coordinates for here in colorado and like on the back page one of my favorites i was reading last night was on virtue masculinity and success and actually drilling down at what did these actually mean? Um, and I just found like, and then, you know, I found these beautiful stories that you guys from mountain biking to climbing peaks to, to then, you know, really personal stories, um, Sam, about your loss of pregnancy and your son. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really like, oh, wow, this is another way. And so I guess the, the, the thought I was having when we were just even praying before we fired up the mic was really this intersection of art, of life, of imperfection, and of holding on to these dreams that were seven years ago was this clear, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, but that's a long slog in some ways to hold out to say, this is the thing we always envisioned. So I guess I'm just curious now, as you, maybe as we facilitate a look back, what are some of the things that you can see clearly now? that you couldn't in the beginning when you were hitting send on the early posts, when it really wasn't what you intended or wanted it to look like, but that's what you could foreseeably do today. It's really funny. Looking back, one, I see how often we wanted to quit. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then oh, personally, I tried to yeah. take, I'm writing this one down. I tried to poke holes in the boat so often. Okay. It, it, oh, yeah, no, keep going. Boy. And two, I see how, 
Ann Sons could never be faked. And mm. there was this, when I finally... Say more about that. What do you mean it couldn't be faked? Well, what we're trying to demonstrate is uh, being willing to learn about your own heart. Mm. And if we are not doing that, it cannot be written about. And we're writing a young man whose bullshit detector is dialed to a 10. And so as soon as we sound remotely <laughs> okay. like, a, I don't know, verse. a cheerleader, you know, just if it, if it was like remotely not speaking out of our life and if we weren't speaking out of our pain, it would never land. I, but like the main thing, and this is always, I guess, like the classic lesson is your own transformation in the process. But specifically, Jesus like made Sam and I figure out how to work together. And if you had met high school, Blaine and Sam, you would realize. I remember you guys in high school. That's crazy. Uh, And, but even from us literally getting tricked into sharing an office (laughs) and working 10 feet apart. It's true. It happened. Really? This is the one right below? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the workbench style office. Yeah, right. John Dale and I yeah. worked in that office. Yeah. John Dale and I built that office. Yeah. Right after that, he got moved to another project and Sam got moved it there. Sam volunteered <laughs> to move it there. Yeah, little introvert me was on the other side of the building. And I found myself one morning sharing an office with my uh, optimistic achieving brother who'd walk in on Monday morning <laughs> and be like, okay, so new vision. We're going to do this, this, and this today. I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's 8.35, first cup of coffee. This Easy, is a lot. boy. This is a lot. I think I would just so regularly ask the question, Jesus, what is your vision for Ansons? Because mine is to be the definitive voice for a particular brand of young man. And he would just never say that. I'd be like, Jesus, what is your vision? What is Ansons' goal? And, you know, he would say, this week it's your relationship with Sam. And he would say that over and over. Or he would go, like, it's your ability to live it. And it would be like, that's really hard to strategize into, but looking back, it would just—it's just like there's no other way for Ansons to exist because it's really unique artifact in that it's just the relationship between three brothers representing itself as a magazine. Yeah, I think something I would throw in is um, we had to distill and distill and distill what our goal was. We have a lot of goals. We got a lot of visions, world domination, um, creative things. We wanted it to be beautiful. We wanted to write things that were purely uh, fiction for the sake of the joy of words. And we kind of ended up with this this sort of target that was everyone. We're like, well, this is for young men, but it's also for their girlfriends or their wives and their moms. And uh, so we kind of want to address the fact that there's a lot of guys in their 40s and 50s reading, so maybe we should write more towards them. And then all of a sudden we ended up with this kind of like washed out mission statement that was, we're for young men and everybody. And anybody, yeah. And it, it, we had to like months and months, we'd keep coming back to, you know, what is the goal? What is the mission? Who is the guy? And big picture of the guy, one face. I don't buy all of that. If it changes one person's life, it was worth it thing because I think we'd all stop doing what we're doing because box checked. Um, but to envision someone's face with someone like particularly in mind really did help to bring that down and go, okay, yeah, no, this is for the guys in there. This age group that we've had to like dial in. And even the tagline that we have on there, initiation in the young man's soul is fairly recent distillation. Mm. We couldn't have told you that a year ago. Okay. We just had like, and sons is for young men and it's for growth and it's for all these other things, but it was not an elevator statement by a long stretch. Yeah. I'm going to read, um, 
that I think will encapsulate, since these are your words um, now spoken, but I'll, I'll read what you've written. This is from the foreword of, uh, of the Anson's print edition. We're brothers, adventure seekers, writers, sons, and young fathers. We love Jesus. We aim to explore what it means to live with authentic masculinity as we step into the complexities of this world at this wild moment. And we're honest, sometimes a little too honest, but we trust you'll know if something is genuine or not. And we'd rather spend our time being ourselves than pretending to be something or someone that we're not. And we hope that you'll join us in that. So say about what it was like in the temptation to try and be like somebody else along the way. Ooh, ooh. Okay. I mean, I've got, it just looks <laughs> different. It looks different for the different Anson's team members. It does. I think, okay, so. So individually, what was it like for you, Sam? What was the temptation to pretend to be something you weren't? Yeah. Or someone. Things that feel successful are kind of the sort of thing I'd hold out there as the goal. And so magazine, prints, online, the things that worked right now were things like kinfolk or things like art of manliness. And they just kind of had this Mm. either 101 bare bones basics or this just aesthetic. I use kinfolk, beautiful, and also really brief. Like they're not particularly substantive. They're selling like this lifestyle. And yet they were on every coffee table of every millennial everywhere in the United States for a little while there. Mm. Um, They may still be in many, but I think I felt those temptation um, to write about things or say things or put together, like we could, we can craft similar messages that we think might strike those chords. Like, Oh, we, you guys want like the blue tin coffee cup steaming in the woods. Like we can go do that. I'll go, I'll go get you that photo. And then like the Wendell Berry poem that goes with it. Uh And that came back to this, this authenticity thing of, if, if I can get like all of the outside looking right, but you just kind of press in a little bit and you poke a hole through what I'm offering you, I know that I pick up on that particularly quickly. And, and Blaine's comment of young men these days, like we have been sold to our whole lives, with the rise of technology, computers. I mean, we, they were our nannies. And so marketing has sort of grown up along with us and we've been these little lab rats. And so I, we just, we know, we know we're being sold to. And... So for me, anything that was going to feel like that and the, to choose not just to not do what was going to quote unquote work or what would sell, but to choose to be almost like the 180 version of that of I'm going to invite you into the, where like the pain is where the, the loss is and the story I shared of, um, my wife and I's miscarriage like that in my mind are the things that are worth talking about. And if, if people didn't particularly connect with that or they're not interested in that, that's also, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but that's sort of the material that I can feel like the most confident standing behind rather than these are the best, the, the five best scotches you can drink out there and you should try these. And I like, I want to know that list too, Yeah. but that's not the content that I'm going to be throwing out there. Yeah. That's good. How about you, Blaine? This is a very difficult moment to be a creative of any sort. And when you're making yourself available on the internet, which happens to be excessively vitriolic and violent, there's just this temptation to not write about hard things. And exactly as Sam was just saying, you know, you watch 
what I think is a great movie, 180 Degrees South, except for the fact it's meaningless. Great uh, movie. Great movie until you just push and go, and it's Yvonne Chouinard, and it's the end, and he's waking up in his baby sack, and I want to be there so bad. And he gets his, he has this kind of sage expression as he mm-hmm. looks off in the distance and goes, I guess you got to do something to save your soul. And it was like, pause. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. I can't believe I watched this movie for you to say that. Uh-huh. Um, that's... That's so acceptable. Yeah. And versus, mm, good. we're not talking about being offensive. We're not talking about trying to be in people's face, but simply to go out and write. And you gestured towards the final article in the print edition. But to go, you know what? Actually, we think that masculinity is a legitimate category. We think that being a man is something that can tell you about your experience. And to go, yeah, we are actually young men who look at the conversation around gender and who, man, you should hear this hashed through in the Anson's office over and over again. Like these are live topics, but go, yeah, we think that the uh, attempts to annihilate gender are actually misguided from every uh, like soulful and philosophical direction. And so it's for me, the temptation is it's when it, comes time to publish the article that's the five agreements millennials are making and I look at the list and go man I just don't want to be attacked and it's so it's throwing things out there you know Sam we keep referring to this miscarriage article Sam actually makes some very profound statements about reality in that and it's a story of mourning with his wife and all through it is this worldview where he's actually talking to our audience about reality and the human soul. And it just goes, man, as soon as you are on purpose, putting a stake in the ground, trying to create something that is actually valuable because it's transformative, it is scary every time. And in my experience, it just doesn't go away when we have the next publication meeting and somebody throws out a hard topic. We had to turn off the comments. We had a comment section because feedback, feedback, feedback is, you know, talk to king us. these days but we have turned off you have a really hard time to find our email address it's a, it's impossible to leave a comment on any article and we have somebody else handling our social media we do get the feedback and have we do take that to heart but just that quick easy tell me what you think in five seconds man that that's a great way to not, to not be very helpful to not be very and it's yeah. gonna be super negative for, that, for them either right like, yeah what you're gonna say in five seconds versus if it takes you five minutes to find our email like mm. you, it's gonna be more thoughtful whether it's good or bad so like for blade's comment on the public and to do things to not be attacked like we had to turn some of those off so that they wouldn't be kind of like the decision makers on whether we do something or not that's really good so i guess just what i what i see in my mind is the image Sam, that you mentioned of a minute ago about the cup of coffee steaming in the forest and the, the five best scotches to try. Um, those are great. They aren't, to your word, they're not transformative, right? It's not actually inviting us into deeper realities. Of, so if I knew the best scotches to drink and I could figure out the best place to make that shot happen in the woods, would it actually help me on the day that my wife had a miscarriage? And probably not. It helped you get hammered. Part of that was probably in <laughs> some of it in was view. helpful. Right? Right. Exactly. And yet, what you guys are offering is to say that a life with God is actually the way to navigate stories like 
miscarriages and what does masculinity really mean? And it's about becoming, right? Not just acquiring or, and I, I guess what I'm curious about too is uh, this in defense of millennials. Um, I haven't read the article yet, but the title was really pulling to me. And I'd love just to have a conversation about it with you guys is I really have a view that uh, millennials get a bad rap. And a couple of reasons I think is that I, my perception, um, so I'm 46 and my, what I hear a lot of is how millennials are idealistic, how they're entitled. And I'm not, I'm not claiming these things. I'm just saying in through what's my, said culturally, yeah, said yeah. culturally and when I'm around, you know, and in, at an employer level, you know what you hear and those kinds of things. And so there's a lot of like, man, they just think they're going to start on third base. They think they're going, you know, they don't have to work for it. There's all this. And so what I've been really fascinated by is I actually think, and I've never heard it said this way, Sam, as you said, is that you've been marketed to your whole life. Would you say that the, the marketing's your, your, your nannies growing up? So you know what you're being sold to. I actually find it incredibly fascinating that millennials have an opportunity to cast a vote on everything that's happened culturally thus far in their view to be able to look at what their parents have done, their grandparents have done and said, is that for me or not? And be more objective about what's actually working and not what's soul corroding and what's life giving and really look at it more objectively than just uh, hook, line and sinker. If you're in whatever band of uh, age group, you just kind of do what everybody else is doing. But the generation who's new and up and coming always has a chance to say, is this for me or not? So I'd love to hear just your guys' perspective of what, going back to these five agreements that millennials make too, just on this conversation, I'd love just to learn what's your view of in defense of millennials. Well, you did write the article, Sam. <laughs> yeah. So the things that we might get rid of, things that we might think are, so, okay. I had a marketing meeting years ago that I got like super privileged to be a part of. Um, these VPs of marketing for a big uh, New York house that I was helping my dad on a project with, and I got to be part of this thing. And they were they were throwing out there these ideas of like, well, you know, millennials don't buy books, and they're all using e-readers, and they have this kind of all these things. And I was sitting there going, like, I I don't know the last time you guys were in a room with millennials, but I didn't know a single person that owned an e-reader. It was like my <laughs> sister-in-law who was thirty-seven, okay. and okay. what was interesting is like. Th- a couple of years later, these stats started coming out of like, actually millennials either can't afford or don't buy these e-readers and there are, there's a swing towards print. And I, I find that we have all of these like social ideas and just slap them on the next generation. Mm. Um, for instance, we're at uh, dinner on Friday night and the table next to us, there's a couple who I just kind of casually observed over like 20 minutes while they were clearly waiting for another couple. It was a four person table and the two of them were on their phones the whole time. Didn't look, they, mm. husband and wife weren't looking at each other, weren't talking to each other. Um, and I think social media would make you think that they were college grads, but this couple was in their fifties. Um, and they were waiting on the younger couple to show up. So I, like I experience these things all the time. Like we're in a moment where all of these things that get said about technology, about relationships, about uh, instant gratification, like they're true 
for all of us. They're mm-hmm. true socially, that, that this age that's going on, this instant gratification, this distraction, and to just slap it as like, this is something millennials are doing. I see what you're saying, it's, yeah. It's kind of a little absurd to me. Like, yeah. we're all in this cultural air. So there are things that are happening. Mm. Um, and I think that you're seeing some of the pushback from millennials and we don't, we don't know what to do with pushback right away because we kind of swing too far. Like I think of like hippies, I think of punk rock. I think like you just, you take it to the extreme. And so if everything is marketing, if everything comes quick and cheap and easy, then like what, what's the value? Well, it's something you have to like work for or it takes a little bit more time. Honestly, the first example that comes to mind is what's been a big boom recently? third wave coffee shops, mm. pour overs, anybody like yeah. it's going to be really cliche, but it's <laughs> pour overs. Why do you want to pour over? Well, it was because you grew up with your mom driving through Starbucks every day and it was like instant coffee available to everyone all the time. Very true. Versus like a slow methodical, I have to, you have to boil the water. They're like you can find out the where filter. it came from. There's tasting notes to it. Like why does that have value? Why is that worth learning about? Um, well, it's because the easy, cheap, it has no value. And we don't have bigger categories as a culture to necessarily apply that towards. Oh. So rather than everybody going like, hey, I realize that like my work and my internal life are the, obviously the first places to start. Mm. I think we start with like things like that and companies like Patagonia catch on to that really quickly. And they're like, okay, this is the one jacket you'll ever need to buy for your life. Like it's high quality and it's going to last a long time and it's more expensive. It just, I think that that is going to end up being a trend that lasts a lot longer and that is speaking to this desire um, that millennials are having of like, I want value and I want good things. And I, I don't know, what do you think about that third wave thing? You were laughing, you were kind of rocking over there, Blaine. The interesting thing to me about this In Defense of Millennials article and what's unique about even Sam's take on it and what's called Ann Sons is the In Defense of Millennials article does not say Millennials are awesome. <laughs> right. No, it doesn't say that. Okay. It's more this cry to everybody, would you please stop misdiagnosing and stopping with the superficial? And the sort of in defense of millennials article frames a lot of what we do in Ansons, which is we are understood to be a open minded generation, let's say. And we look at that and go, is that actually real? If you look at millennials and participation in politics, it's pretty funny when you, if you actually look at numbers and go, oh, so you're not members of political organizations, verifiably. Mm. Oh, so you don't participate in moments, verifiably. And then we look at these other things and go, listen, you can't look at the last 20 years to understand how a generation gets to the place where it thinks that morality is entirely individual. And we go, everybody, you literally have to go back to the enlightenment to understand where that idea came from. And what we just want to do is go, stop looking at millennials and saying, millennial blank this. Oh, I see you're When it's not helpful at, it's not helpful to anybody. And if you're a millennial, it's not enough to shake your fist and go, you don't get it. You have to dive in and go, where did this start? And if I want to engage my own heart, you have to look pretty hard at what are the long-term ramifications of a digital world? What are the long-term ramifications of value production in an internet age? 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. Okay. So how much power does it have when you name something over someone like Aaron, you are bad with money. I have no idea about your, your financial <laughs> ability. We didn't but if, talk but if, beforehand. But if I just <laughs> say that over and over again, um, that has that has a yeah, massive effect. Absolutely. And so, which isn't to say that some of these things aren't true, yeah. but some of them are for selling magazines. Yeah. Times, me, me, me generation. That was, that was to sell magazines. Yeah. Like that was obnoxious and unkind. And there are all of these kind of, contradictions that get said about millennials of yourself self-centered and you want things quickly but you're also very creative and we have seen some really amazing ideas and some self-starting things happen and you're like okay are those are we talking about the same people group right now <laughs> right. how are those coexisting so then zooming out then i guess what i hear you saying is with Ansons, your aim is to always peel back a layer and ask that question of about and and what about your own heart in this right so if it's coffee or um, political engagement involvement, if it's having things spoken over our life and what's the impact of that, right? So it's always the, there's always something else, but then seeding it into, I guess, a, a narrative that a young man on his initiation of his own soul would matter to him. Absolutely. That's super well said. We'll probably pull that sound point sound Good, like for, for use somewhere. Good. But there just is the thing of, there's a, we have a joke in the Anson's office, which is that the real Anson's motto is too deep. But there's a kind of sort of a reality and, mm. you know, Anson's, you could make fun of Anson's by going like, oh man, ask about anything. And the Anson's team will go, well... <laughs> but that's part of what you want to do is go, uh -huh. exactly, look one layer deeper yeah. than you would normally look, and it will do you an incredible amount of good. Yeah. So one of the things I've been learning about in, uh, in, the, in the work that I do um, f in the business world is this idea of leading by example in how, how vulnerable we lead invites others to do the same. And so Brene Brown, I think, has a great quote about something similar about in the place of vulnerability we can all meet. And so I've seen it play out a lot. And so, for instance, one of the things that we do is um, we have these workshops during the day, and then that evening, on usually on the first night of a workshop, and maybe 20 or 50, we all divide out in this kind of quiet, candlelit-like dinner. And you might have, let's say, six to eight people co-workers generally, people that work together, but maybe they don't know each other super well, usually at the below the waterline level, if we use that iceberg analogy. And so it's called a storytelling dinner. And we queue it up with, um, tonight we're going to tell stories. And I've been using this uh, Rob Lowe actor. He wrote this book. It's titled uh, Stories I Only Tell My Friends. And it turns out the book wasn't that great, but I love the title. And so I thought, you know, that's actually probably a good way to frame this to say, I'd love to tell you some stories that I only tell my friends and then move into telling a story. And so what I see happen is at each of these tables, when the stories get queued off with a, a deeper level of deep, most everyone follows suit. And so then they're willing. So I've even had people around the table through the course of the, the dinner. So one by one, as you're eating, you're, you're saying, oh, wow. And then somebody will say, well, well, if we're going to tell these kinds of stories, then I'm going to change my story. 
here's the story I have to tell. And they're amazing. And what I've watched is if we can, in leading, hold the tension of going first, basically, which means it's really uncomfortable because we're really out there and we're inviting people into something way deeper and there can be crickets and not a lot of response at first or some gnarly responses that you have to turn comments on for. But that the predominant result I've seen is that most everybody's willing to follow. They just need somebody else to go first. So I wonder, even as I've read and listened to you guys today, that how much of that is in those deeper questions beyond pour over coffees and scotches and latest Instagram rad place you took a photo. If by you guys helping lead that you're just inviting by going first and making it easier for somebody to go second, they really want what's below. It's just hard to find their own way there. What do you think? That's Can I a- ask you a question? <laughs> yeah. No, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have the same pause we're willing to give before things. So we keep, pausing for the same amount of time and then going. I gave Sam the the eye bounce, though. You do. I missed it. Go ahead, then. Maybe your listeners already know this, but returning to your candlelight dinners, do you mind saying, what is the point of these Mm. workshops? We do these, they call them personal insight workshops, and they're in a business setting, so it's household names you'd recognize in terms of companies, and they're oftentimes their top leadership teams. And really is a, a lot about just showing up more human at work. And now there's strategies for how to do that. And there's brain science behind how to do that. But like some, a lot of it's just relational. It's like how trust is built, how trust is maintained, and how trust is perceived differently. So for instance, in this model that we use about trust is one is about reliability, one's about accountability, one's about openness. There's another one I can't remember off the top of my head. But reliability turns out to be the one that I struggle the most with, which is like consistently doing what I say I'll do when I say I'll do it every time. And so for years in my 25-year almost uh, now marriage, I've struggled with why is reliability such a big deal to my wife? (laughs) I now know. Uh, But turns out it's the lens by which she views things. So back to these workshops. So we spend time helping executive leaders understand that how I define trust is how I want to be judged about whether or not I'm trustworthy or received, but other people define trust slightly differently. So we'll culminate a day-long workshop or two-day-long workshop in this evening. And it's it's very much intentional on trying to get people to connect more humanly about the fact that they're actually humans when they come to work every day. And yeah, they got a bunch of stuff they got to do and they're a big deal or they're not a big deal or whatever. But the bottom line is we're all humans and we're living in a story and everybody has a story that's worth listening to. All right. No, me, not you, Sam. Mm. You lead into the mic so fast. That's awesome. Tying it in with your question because the language that it stirs for me is that you cannot do anything with a divided heart Mm. and that showing up wholehearted with your whole being into any project, turns out to be the thing that's key to flourishing in God's universe. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting because you talked about going first. We're not champions of vulnerability by any stretch of the imagination, I think. 
But part of the language for us is even Padre reiterating around Anson's of you have to share your pain. You have to share your pain because it actually becomes this way to show up wholehearted by just going, some of my life looks glamorous, most of it doesn't. Yeah. And bringing that all in creates a context where you actually get to live the masculine life. Well, I think people are also really poorly equipped to have those conversations. When we were envisioning this magazine seven, eight years ago, um, we were just wrestling with the fact that there was a lack of content that we would want to read addressing some of these issues. Um, And the pain doesn't have to always be as brutal as a loss. Sometimes it's like the frustration with finding work after college and you thought things were going to get lined up and you thought it was X plus Y equals Z and it's not. And what do you do with your identity in that in-between time? Like that's painful. And that article isn't out there. The articles out there are how to give it like a good interview and how to craft a good resume and how to tie a tie. Like Mm. those articles and those videos exist in the thousands because (laughs) we don't know how to do those things, but there's no secondary. And like, what do you do when it doesn't go well? Mm. What do you do when you, your identity is totally tied into your job and you've just moved towns because the girl has moved towns. Like that didn't exist. Mm. And that's not the kind of thing that shows up on Instagram and that's not the kind of thing that happens on your Facebook feed. And, and Facebook feed is all about the 30 places you got to visit before you're 30. It's not, you don't have the money to go there and what are you doing in your hometown when you thought your life was going to look differently? Mm. And so <laughs> into that space, we offer our experience and it doesn't touch on everyone's, but it's not meant to. It's meant to invite the next conversation mm. and the next one after that. And then we get this much wider experience that, uh, yeah, it's not the steaming coffee cup in the mountains, but it's a lot more true and it's a lot more life-giving. So one final question as I'm thinking through these seven, eight years to get to this really cool proof and byproduct of all these stories that we're talking about in all this way, what are some things you would do differently? What do you wish you could have done over? I would just listen earlier to the thing that God was saying was the priority when it did not relate to work. <laughs> and it was very simple. I mean, this this is pretty classic, but I was talking about, I'd ask what the priority was and he would say, it's your relationship with your brother or it's you living this out in your own life. And then I would spend the day working on a digital strategy. <laughs> rather, that, that yeah. great advice, yeah. Um, and so I think that like, there was actually in my I've, now all the, I can think of a million strategic things and tactical things that we would have done differently. Uh, but the one that comes up first is like, man, I just would have uh, resisted the priorities of God less. <laughs> yeah, I think of a lot of tactical things as well. Um, and yet to make this project even more impressive, it was done by three brothers and a father. So like family pressure dynamics. And it was my job to herd these cats <laughs> to get them to get me stuff every month so I could put it up online. Okay, nice. And that, that was a lot of frustration there. And if the relationships weren't healthy, the thing wasn't going to work. Mm. Um, and it wasn't a project I could have pulled off by myself. And I tried sinking the ship several times. Um, and so yeah, that piece on relationships is huge. Like if the backbone, if the story going on underneath the scenes isn't good, then it wouldn't have been possible. And I think giving that more attention sooner would have been great. And 
uh, I would I would do that differently. So would it be fair to say that this represents not only some great content and great stories, but also would it be fair to say that you've there aren't any uh, any barbs and lots of piles of regrets to go with all these stories then too? You guys have actually lived pretty well to make it this far? I think we've uh, lived well some of the time and repented really well Good. a lot of the rest of the time. Yeah, right on. <laughs> which is which is which is called living well. <laughs> right? There you go. I'll take it. Sweet. <laughs> All right. So where can people find your work? Ansonsmagazine.com. And if they would like to hold one of these in their hands seven days from now, as you said. Click on the print in the top menu. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just recently live. Yep. yep. All right. Love it. Sweet fellas. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Really an honor to be here. Yeah. Super fun. 